Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Very beautiful. Mm, thanks. Good to see you too. Always good to see you. Ah, oh, hello, hello, hello. We have been uh, talking this year about our annual theme, which is Awake and Alive We Thrive. So that's been our theme for the whole of 2019. And, and we're wrapping up June, uh, the last week of June. And our theme for the month of June has been Loving and Loneliness. Loving and Loneliness. And, and our book of the month that we've been using is A Return to Love, Marianne Williamson's book. Uh, it's an older book, but we've been using that this month. And we've had a couple of talks about loneliness. We've had some talks about love. We've had a talks from moving from loneliness to love. We, so, we, so we're going to wrap it up today. We're going to wrap it up today. There's a story about a husband and a wife, and they've been married like 60 years. And uh, they never had a secret between them except for one. Except for one. And uh, the wife had a box that she kept up in the closet, and her husband was never, ever allowed to go in there and look in that box. That was the one and only rule that she had. He could never go in there. You know, but there she was coming towards the end of her life, and she was getting ready to make her transition. And, and so she asked her husband to go take down the box and, and open it. And he looked inside, and what he found in that box was one crocheted doll and $95,000. Now, he, he wondered what it was, and she said, well, my mom told me that the secret to a happy, long marriage was to never argue, and that when I was mad at you, I should crochet a doll. And he thought, well, that's pretty good. One doll in 60 years, that's pretty darn good, you know? And he said, well, what's all this money? And she said, oh, that's all the money I got from selling the dolls. <laughs> right. What's love got to do with it? That's today's talk title, is what's love got to do with it? You know, and I'll tell you the answer is everything. You know, I thought, okay, that's it, that's the talk. What's love got to do with it? Everything, everything, absolutely everything. There was a boy, uh, his name was Daniel, and this is a story of him and his grandma. His grandma's name was Shirley. And uh, when Daniel was about 11 years old, his father divorced, and um, for some reason, Daniel and his sister came to live with his grandma and grandpa. Now, Daniel had always been close to his grandma, Shirley, and, and grandma and grandpa were really happy to have kids back in the home. It was just a great match for all of them, and they really thrived while they were there. And, and Shirley was just everything to Daniel. You know, she laughed, and she kidded, and they joked, and they just had a great, great relationship. Well, everything went along really great for several years, and then um, Shirley had been living with diabetes for many, many years. And it started to really take a toll on her body. She started to lose her eyesight. She started to feel very, very weak, and uh, she needed a kidney. She needed a kidney. And uh, what happened was that uh, that joy and that vivaciousness that Grandma used to have was no longer there was no longer there, and, and it really saddened Daniel. Daniel was a star football player. He loved to play football. He was a co-captain of the high school football team, and he also, uh, he was an award-winning defensive end, I think it's called, coach, is that right? Defensive end, something like that. It was his position, but he was really good at it, and um, his grandma knew that he loved it, but he loved his grandma, you know, just as much, and, and uh, 
It got to the point that if Shirley didn't get a, liver, a kidney transplant soon, that she was going to be too weak to get one. And the doctors thought maybe she'd have about six months to live. And she was going to dialysis. And, and one day, Daniel went with her to dialysis. And, and he went, and unbeknownst to her, he went to talk to the doctors to see what it would take for him to donate a kidney. Now, Grandma was adamant. She was not going to take a kidney from anybody in the family. She wasn't going to do it. No way, no how. You know, well, Daniel was just as stubborn as she was, you know, and, and he said, you know, he told her one day, he said, Grandma, I want to be the donor. And she said, no. She said, you'll have to give up your dream of football, you know. You can't play football with one kidney. And he, she said, I won't do that. And he said, well, I don't want you to die. You know, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so they argued and they argued and eventually she agreed to let him go be tested to see if he was a good donor. And of course, it, he was the perfect match. He was the perfect match and she realized the battle was over. So uh, they made the arrangements and he went in and, and they did the, the liver transplant, you know, and right away Shirley was like, she woke up the next morning, she was full of energy, the nurses kept telling her to get back in bed, she had to rest, she was so full of energy and she said she didn't want to go to sleep because she was afraid that it would, it would be a dream, she would wake up and all this new energy and all this new vivaciousness that she had would be a dream. You know, after a day or so they moved her out of the ICU and they put her on the same floor that Daniel was on and he was just three doors down from her and Grandpa helped Daniel to come see Grandma Shirley. And they just sat. And they looked at each other with that love in the eyes, you know, at each other. And Daniel said to Grandma, was it worth it? Was it worth it? And she said, absolutely for me, but what about for you? You know? And he said, Grandma, I have you here. It's worth it to me. It's worth it to me. You know, and that love that goes beyond words, that love that's, that we can't really put a handle on, you know, that love for one another. And then at the time that this article was being written, uh, Daniel received the Courageous Athlete of the Year Award. He was flown to Disney World, where he received the award. I'm so weepy today, guys, I apologize. Um, and... Uh, there, he met uh, Bobby Bowden, who was the coach of the um, uh, Florida State football team. And uh, he told him, I've always wanted to be uh, a Samoan. Samoan, that's what their other team name is. And he says, I've always wanted to be one. And gosh, you're like my dream, you know. And Coach Bobby was so impressed by this young man that he arranged for him to have a full scholarship. And um, he's the, treat, the team trainer. So he got to be one of the, one of the team and, 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 and be part of that, you know. This, just that love, it just moves me. The love, that selflessness, you know. That selflessness of somebody giving to somebody else. You know, what does love have to do with it? Everything. Love has everything to do with it. So not only did he be, was he able to help his grandmother, he was able to go on to live his dream. His dream of being part of that team and, and being part of football. Continuing to be part of football that was so important to him. Um, you know, Ernest Holmes, in our Science of Mind uh, books, he says, He who is born of love is born of God, for God is love. Without love, nothing can be accomplished, and with love, all things are possible. 
Ernest Holmes. God, good love, right? We use those interchangeably. I know I, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, God, good love, the same thing, means the same thing here in religious science and science of mind. And we know that it was Emerson that first said that God and love are synonymous, that those two words are the same, that they're absolutely the same, right? And then Ernest Holmes went on to say, God is love and love is God. They're one and the same. And we continue to use that today. We continue to use them interchangeably. I can say the word love or I can say the word God or I like to include good. So I do good God love or all those things, you know? And in fact, I was looking up in the concordance for the Science of Mind textbook, our textbook, and um, we have two and a half to three pages for each one of those words in the concordance. That's how many times they're used over and over again in our Science of Mind book. And love is the catalyst back of all life. You heard Reverend Megan say that in her prayer. You know, she says, through the creative action of love. Through the creative action of love. That is the impotence. Love is the impotence. Love and the law. Love is the thing behind the law. That is that energy that moves. But the great love of the universe must be one with the great law of its own being. And we approach love through the law. This, then, is the teaching, love and law. As the love of God is perfect, so the law of God is also perfect. We must understand both. Love and law. Sort of a nutshell of our teaching, right? Love and law. Same, uh, opposite side of the same coin. They're inseparable. They're inseparable. In the Science of Mind in a textbook, in the chapter, The Law of Attraction, that there is a title of chapter called The Law of Attraction, way before The Law of Attraction became popular. I'll have you know, it was written back in the 1920s, 1930s. Ernest Holmes has a whole chapter on The Law of Attraction. And in it, he talks about a great deal about how we manifest things. And he talks about how we manifest things through love, by using love. And he gives an example. He gives an example. He says, if you have no friends and you want friends, how do you manifest friends in your life? If you feel alone, if you don't know anybody, if you're wanting to meet people, how do you manifest that? And this is what he said. One of the first things to do is to love everybody. If you have not done this, begin to do so at once. There is always more good than bad in people, and seeing the good tends to bring it forth. Have you noticed that? It does. Love is the greatest healing and drawing power on earth. Say that one more time. Love is the greatest healing and drawing power on earth. It is the very reason for our being. And that explains why it is that people should have something or someone to love. That life that has not loved has not lived. It is still dead. Love is the soul's impulse for creation. And the man who does not love, does not have love as the greatest incentive in his life, has never developed the real creative instinct. No one can swing out into the universe without love, for the whole universe is based upon it. Ernest Holmes, right in our textbook. So what does love have to do with it? Right? What does love have to do with life? What does love have to do with success? What does love have to do with prosperity and abundance and happiness and joy? What does love have to do with all these things? Well, love has everything to do with it because love is everything. I mean, love is all that there is, right? Love is all that there is. God, good love. In a return to love, Marianne Williamson's book, uh, in chapter 9, it's the chapter on heaven. She quotes the Course in Miracles as saying, an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. 
An untrained mind can accomplish nothing. She says, love takes more than crystals and rainbows. It takes discipline and practice. It's not just a sweet sentiment from a Hallmark card. It is a radical commitment to a different way of being. A mental response to life that is completely at odds with the thinking of the world. A mental response completely at odds. Did any of you happen to watch the Democratic debates? Did you happen to see Marianne Williamson up there? No matter what you think about her politically or what you think about her personally, I gotta say, she was pretty radical, right? I mean, she stood on that stage and she spoke the truth. She looked the camera right in the eye and she said, love wins. It's pretty powerful. I gotta give her credit for having the courage to do that, to stand up there and do that, you know? And if that is not a radical uh, commitment to a different way of being, a mental response to life that is completely at odds with the thinking of the world. Now, that was different and new for a politician to stand up there and say that. Our world's not used to that. You know, but she got a few people's attention, I think. She got a few people's attention. Perhaps we need a radical commitment to love. A radical commitment to love. I mean, what would that look like? Can you just imagine what would that look like if all of us went out of here today and we made a radical commitment to love? Wow, the ripple effect of that. The ripple effect of that. A few years back, Air Canada put together a um, whole flight. They dedicated a whole flight. They donated a whole flight for children to fly from Canada down to Disney World to have a day at Disney World. It was called a dream come true plane. It was the dream come true plane. And the different organizations that work with children were given so many seats. And Aunt Teresa, she worked with a Children's Aid Fund, and her organization was given 10 seats. So early 4.30 in the morning, she says, on the day of a dream come true flight, she headed down to the airport and her 10 little charges that she was with, you know. And they arrived there, and the Air Canada crew had a special room all set for them and a special place for them to meet. And they gave each of the children a backpack. And the little girl, she says, with braids, came up to her and asked, can I put on the T-shirt that's in the backpack? And she said, oh, it's yours. You can keep it. And the little girl said, forever? And she said, yeah, forever. It's yours. You know, and the little kids were so excited about receiving these backpacks, they completely forgot about the airplane ride in Disneyland, right? They were so excited, they ran in the bathroom and they're putting on the clothes. And she was trying to tell them, it's going to be too hot. You don't want to be wearing all those clothes. And one of the little girls found a checker set in there. And they just sat down on the airport floor and started playing checkers. And they were just in so much joy. But she saw one little boy, Corby. He was kind of the oldest of the children. He was 12 years old, and he was just sitting in the chair in the airport lounge with his hands folded and his backpack thrown on the floor. And she went up, and she sat down next to him, and she asked, Corby, what's going on? He says, I know what's really going on. And she said, what? We're not going to Disneyland. No, you are, really. We're going. Oh, yeah, right, you know. And she says he just looked at him like, hey, they got you fooled too, right? We're not going there. And, uh, and then the breakfast was served, you know, and muffins and juice and all of that. And she said she went about to do all that and clean up the spills and all that. And then they followed the little star path that Air Canada had made, a little trail of stars to get on the airplane to go to Disney World for the day. And she found Corby sitting right next to her. And he says, you know, we're not really going to Florida. She said, no, we really are. We're going to Walt Disney World for the day, and then we're going to come back tonight. 
And he says, yeah, I don't think so, right? Well, the plane took off and they landed in Florida. Well, he went from Canada to get in this 90 degrees weather and it kind of got his attention. And he asked the man at the airport, is this really Florida? And the man said, yes, it's Florida. You're in Florida, you know, and he wasn't so sure. And then he said to Teresa, he said, I know what, you're going to leave us here. You're going to leave us here. You're not going to take us back. She said, no, no, we're going to take you back. We're going to spend the day. We're going to take you back. And he said, to the Mullins house? And she knew Corby's history, and she knew that he had been uh, abandoned by his mother and that he had finally found a home with a foster family that cared for him, and that was the Mullins. And, and he wanted to know if he was going back there, and she knows that he had had a traumatic uh, childhood. And she said, yes, you're going back to the Mullins. In fact, they'll probably be at the airport to pick you up. And he didn't believe her. The day went on, and they had a wonderful time at Walt Disney World, as children do, right? And, and they rode all the rides, and some of them twice. And she says, Corby even kind of smiled the second time on It's a Small World, and he really liked the Haunted Mansion, right? And he was sort of getting into it. He was starting to believe that maybe there was some truth in this story. And uh, towards the end of the day, as uh, they had all gotten their Mickey Mouse ears and had all their fun, they uh, were each given $20. Each child was given $20 to go to the souvenir shops on Main Street and uh, purchase something, a souvenir for themselves. And Teresa said uh, she was just blown away. The first little girl with braided hair wanted to know if she could buy something for her brother. He wasn't able to come. So Teresa helped her pick out a Mickey Mouse hat and a yo-yo for her brother. Then another little girl said she wanted to spend her $20 to buy something for one of the boys in the foster home she was in that wasn't able to come either, but really wanted to. So she bought something for that person. Another little child wanted to buy something for his teacher, a teacher that had really helped him. You know, and Teresa said between all this, with the tears strolling down, streaming down her face, Corby came to her and he said, are we really going back? And she said, we are. He said, then I want to buy stuff for the bullets. And she said she had to walk away before the tears just streamed down her face, right? What's love got to do with it? These little children that have nothing and given so little want to give it to somebody else. They want to share the love. They want to spread the love. Mm. Changed, changed the lives of those that were there and the people, the chaperones that were there to witness it. This is a prayer, one of the prayers that Ernest has written in our book. The great love which I now feel for the world is the love of God. And it is felt by all and comes back to me from all. I understand all people and this understanding is reflected back to me from all. I give friendship and therefore I have friends. I help, therefore I am helped. I uplift, therefore I am uplifted. I am now surrounded by all love, all friendship, all companionship, all help, all happiness, all success. I am one with life, and I wait in the silence while the great spirit bears this message to the whole world. Right. The important part of our prayer is when we plant the seed, we let it be. You know, I find myself often going back and digging up the seed. Like, why isn't it growing? It's not growing very fast, right? 
But when we do the prayer, we let it go. We let it go. And we wait. I think it's beautiful the way Ernest wrote that. I wait in silence while the great spirit bears this message to the whole world. Our part is just to wait. And once we've done the work. Love is all there is, right? God is all there is. God and love are synonymous. Then it stands to reason that love is all there is, right? If they're one and the same. Of course, in miracles, says everything else is an illusion. Only love is real. Only love is real. You know, I've always been interested in love. I was a weird kid. I liked to like study what was love. What was, you know, because I was so confused about things. What was love? And I'd read things about love, and I'd write papers about love. You know, and then I also love to study about God. You know, so I have all these books about God, and I have all these books about love. Until I realized they were the same thing. They were the same thing. That's why I love them both so very much. God and love, the same thing. You know, and I fall short, I fall short uh, every day, many times a day of being the love that I want to be. I shared with you two weeks ago the lyrics to Jamie Lula's song, Let Me Love the Way You, you Do, Let Me Love the Way You Do. I mean, that's my prayer, but I fall short of that. You know, but I believe that the desire to do that brings me back on course. That is my desire to be the love of God in the world, to be that, to express that, to allow spirit to move through me. I was reading Goldsmith getting ready for today's talk, and Goldsmith says, don't ever think that that love is you. Think that that love is spirit through you. Right? It's not I, but the Father within that doeth the work, the Father, Mother, whatever it is that you want to call it. That love through me expressing. Can I be open? Can I allow it to flow through me? Thich Nhat Hanh, he's one of the most influential Buddhist monks of our time, him and the Dalai Lama. He's 92. He's returned to his uh, native Vietnam to make his transition, but he's still here with us. He says this, Love, compassion, joy, and equanimity are the very nature of an enlightened person. They are the four aspects of true love within us and within everyone and everything. So it is in love that we live and breathe and have our very being. We are love. We are love made manifest. We are love expressing. You know, so this week, I encourage you to practice, just practice being love. Because love has everything, everything to do with it. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Glad you're here.